Hi, everybody. Isn't that sweet? That's really sweet, though it does make me feel a little bit bad about myself for actually wanting presents. But hey, there you go. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, my name is Eric. If we haven't met before, I am one of the pastors here on staff. It's great to be with you. If we have met before, I feel like I have to say this right at the start of this, that what you are seeing is not some weird lighting or shadow. I have attempted to grow something up here. It has been a season of growth for me. Um, this season of growth has been about a month. Some of you are like, wow, that's, that's what you get in a month? That's okay. All right. Uh, some of you get Santa Claus in a month with a beard, and this is what I get. Um, I was actually not sure if I could really pull it off, but I kept having people tell me uh, this past week when they knew I was going to be speaking with it, they said, wow, you, you look a lot smarter uh, all of a sudden. Which I think is a compliment, but it makes me wonder about the majority of my life that was beardless on what people actually thought of me. So you get the smart, Eric, this morning, and I'm glad to be with you. Uh, whatever campus you are joining us at, uh, however you're watching, if you're watching online or podcasting, it's so good to be with you. And uh, it's great for us because we're going to be talking about a topic uh, that in many ways uh, is really applicable to this season, and that is waiting. Uh, it's something that we learn, all learn early on is a part of life, but we all tend to learn that, especially at this time of year. In fact, one of the things that I grew up having uh, in my household, maybe many of you guys have it too, is one of these. Does anybody have an advent calendar uh, right now? They come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, I think they're all great, though I'm a strong advocate for the ones that have the chocolate in it. I mean, that's just... That's just what God says to do, okay? You just got to have chocolate and I'm with it too. But I remember each morning I'd run out to open up, you know, the flap that's on there and get the little piece of chocolate, which is cool. And then you kind of be reminded of just how many more flaps there were to open and how many more windows you had until Christmas, which was a pretty painful reminder, you know? But beyond just uh, waiting for Christmas and waiting for presents, there is something about the season that we are in that has a way of heightening and highlighting those areas in our life where we're in kind of a holding pattern, where we're waiting for something. Uh, perhaps it's because of advertisements that are out there or family gatherings that tend to ask a lot of questions about how we're doing or what we want in our life or our hopes and dreams, or maybe it's Hallmark movies. I'm not sure, but there's something about this season that tends to remind us of those places that we're waiting, whether we're waiting for a relationship uh, to happen or for it to be repaired, or, or maybe we're waiting for a job to kind of come together, or a job to be fixed, or something to get uh, to move from underemployment to full employment, whatever it is, or finances, for finances to get better, or um, I know for students even right now, uh, this is the season where you're going to be asked a lot of questions about, well, what's next, especially for those of you that are seniors, and this is the time of college applications and waiting on that. Some of us, it's health, you know, where we're tired of the pain and we're kind of in it and there's just something about this season that tends to remind us of those things and uh, and so the the interesting and hard part about waiting is it's a part of life uh, and there's a challenge to it because there there's something about it that can do either something really helpful in our life or actually something pretty harmful in our life uh, it's kind of like uh, if you were to have a, a great piece of raw beef and a few of us were about to do this for the holidays. You're going to get a raw piece of beef. And, and you can, one of two things could possibly happen to it over an extended period of time. It could either go bad just because it's left out and just sort of things start to happen to it. Or over an extended period of time, it can turn into a great, beautiful, smoked masterpiece brisket. It all depends on just what happens over that period of waiting. And what we'll see this morning is the same is true for you and I as we engage in whatever waiting room we find ourselves in uh, today. 
is that it has the potential to either uh, do something really harmful in our life, as the Bible describes it. Uh, there's one passage that says that waiting can sometimes even diminish who we are, where it kind of makes us less and less of who we want to be, or we actually feel ourselves wasting away. And I've had seasons of life that have felt like that. Or uh, what Paul will tell us in the book of Romans today as we focus in on it, that waiting can actually be a season where something, something could actually be pretty empowering that happens to us, pretty life-giving and, and make us more and more of who we're supposed to be, that it can actually turn us into something that could only happen uh, through a time of waiting, like almost like turning you into a great brisket. And yes, I just, turned, I just compared you to a brisket. I don't know. Some of you probably are okay with that, um, but that's what I'm comparing you to. And that's the potential that waiting has for our life, too. And so Paul is going to help us uh, in the book of Romans kind of think through how we can wait well and how we can wait in such a way that actually builds into us and makes us more of who we're supposed to be. And I I think he is a helpful expert uh, for us in this subject uh, because he was a Christ follower in uh, the New Testament, uh, but he had witnessed firsthand how waiting can do strange things to people, particularly people of faith. In fact, what we celebrate at this time of year is Christmas and Jesus coming into the world, the promised Messiah to make all things right. Uh, and the very first Christmas is something that actually had been had ended a pretty extended period of waiting for God's people. Uh, your Old Test or your uh, Bible is divided into two parts: the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and the division is about when the Messiah came. That's when the New Testament starts. And for you and I, as we open up our Bible and maybe we flip between the two testaments, that's only a couple of pages for us to flip. But for the people living in it, um, the difference between Malachi 4.6, which is the end of the Old Testament, to Matthew 1.1, which is the beginning of the New, represented about 400 years of time. Uh, and historians call that the 400 years of silence. In fact, those are theologians in the Jewish time because during that period of 400 years, uh, there was no new revelation from God, no prophets that were kind of coming out and saying anything. There's nothing that was added uh, in the Bible or Scripture. So there was a lot of silence, no communication from him, which was disconcerting. It was also a period of regional instability where various powers were overseeing Israel and they were kind of controlling them. And so they had to deal with that. And they had this vague idea that there would be a Messiah, but they didn't know what that would look like or when this Messiah would come and and how long they'd have to wait for it. And so what's fascinating is actually as you read your New Testament, you'll see the responses that different people of faith had uh, to that extended period of waiting, that it did some strange things to people. And there were different subgroups of the Jewish faith that kind of popped up during that time. Three of them are prominent in your New Testament. You have the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Zealots. The Pharisees, during that time of waiting, as they were kind of in uncertainty and all that, they, they kind of doubled down on religiosity, where they're like, okay, we're going to really focus on religious purity and following the law. Not a bad thing by itself. But over that time, it actually did something strange to many of them, where a lot of them became legalists, and they started focusing on, on just kind of external righteousness and trying to look better than everybody else. And it was kind of, uh, kind of a weird thing that happened. Or the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of people who uh, were, again, during that uncertainty, they kind of doubled down on trying to be influential in culture. And so many of them were actually like they were involved in politics. They, uh, some of them were high priests where they were really socially connected. Again, not a bad thing. 
but it led many of them to a strange place as well, where they actually put their hope in what was going on in the culture at that time and kind of lost out on God's big hope uh, that there was actually a life to come. In fact, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. That's why they're sad, you see? All right, all right, I got to talk about that for a second. So, all right, that is one of the best church slash dad jokes that there is around. And, and your laughter was not as robust as I think that could happen. Maybe the campuses, it was a little better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that joke again. And uh, I, I'm going to expect to hear the kind of laughter that should come with that. So in every room, wherever you're at, let's just kind of give, give me something real from this one. So you see, the Sadducees, uh, they, they didn't believe in life after death. That's why they're sad, you see? Wow, much better. See that you got to work for it in church sometimes. Okay, and then you have the zealots. The zealots were a group of people again who had clung to God's promise that that God had promised them land and the, this land, and yet that wasn't happening at that time. So again, it wasn't a bad thing to cling to the promise of God, and yet the way that they went about kind of clinging to it was they they said we were going to pursue having the land for us violently even. And so they were, there was a lot of rebellion and military uh, things as a result of the zealots going around there. Again, uh, waiting can do strange thing uh, to God's people. And it's by, as a side note, isn't that a good thing to know that today uh, believers don't struggle with an unhealthy amount of focus on politics or cultural influence or religiosity? It's really good that we've gotten over that. Of course, we, we haven't, which means that you and I, we have to be really, really careful about, okay, is there something strange that maybe is happening in me as a result of an extended period of waiting? So the Apostle Paul is going to help us out. Paul knows this firsthand because he was a Pharisee before he became a Jesus follower. So he saw how that could happen, and he met Jesus, and it changed his perspective. And so he's going to help us have perspective as well, too, as he talks about uh, waiting and what it takes to wait well. And he's going to have two parts of his argument here. Um, he's going to say that if we're going to wait well, we need to know how to face frustration and we need to know how to have hope. And so I'm about to read an extended uh, passage, uh, a little bit longer than one that I might typically read uh, here. And so I'm going to ask that you stick with me. But the reason why I want to read it, one, it is one of the most foundational, really helpful uh, passages in the entire New Testament. It just really helped me understand the world that we live in and, and making sense of things, particularly when I'm in a, a time of waiting. Uh, but I am going to give you a bit of a disclaimer. It's a dense passage, and it's one that um, may be like, okay, I'm not sure I understand that, everything that's going on in there. But Paul interweaves both of these concepts throughout it that's really hard to separate it out. So I'm just going to ask that you stick with me, and then we will break it down and kind of think through it together. Okay, deal? All right. So here we go. Romans 8, starting in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation, there's our word, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And so there's a lot there, and we're going to break it down. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand in whatever waiting room that you find yourself in this morning is that uh, we live in a frustrated world. And the way that he describes it, he says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. And I feel like I need to explain this word frustration a bit because um, it can mean lots of different things to us. Sometimes it can mean like, you know, kind of a mild sort of irritation or sort of, you know, aggravation that we have in there. And this isn't at all what he's saying. He's saying it's not just a, oh, I'm sort of frustrated or oh, shoot kind of thing. It's, it's actually deeper than he says that the entire world, all of it, everything that you see here is in a constant state of deep, deep brokenness and angst. And that everywhere you look, you see it. Uh, and he would make the argument, I mean, every religion, every philosophy, uh, lots of people have come out to try to explain the brokenness that you and I see in our world. But the way that Paul explains it is he says that it was because of a result of the fall. That what we believe, what the Bible tells us is that God created the world good, but at the beginning, the very first humans introduced sin and brokenness. They disobeyed God, and as a result, it changed everything about the experience of the world that we see today. And so when he says creation, he's saying, man, that's everything. That includes nature, plants, animals. It even includes uh, these guys right here. I know, I know. It's like, how, no, how dare you say that? Um, some of you, because of pictures like this, you're about to put these guys under your tree at home. And, and that's great. I'm just telling you, these are frustrated things, okay? <laughs> there's, a, there's some frustration that is, is deep within them. And they're going to leave frustrating little packages and presents for you all around your home afterwards. It's okay. You know it going in. I'm just kind of forewarning you on there too. But he's saying it includes everything. And in case we were to say, well, that may, man, that's everything, but not, not for people of faith, Paul says, well, you know what? That actually includes people of faith. That not only the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, but also uh, we ourselves, and he'll explain who that is, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait too. And so he's trying to say, hey, people of faith, people that have trusted in Jesus, and, and what the Bible tells us is when you trust in Jesus, you, you receive the Holy Spirit, God himself, as he starts to move and change and shape you. And he wants us to know that we're not immune from frustration as well. Uh, in many ways, you and I who have trusted in Jesus and have the Spirit, we may actually experience maybe perhaps more of a feeling of frustration, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting all choked up all of a sudden. We may experience a little bit more of that frustration as well. And the reason is, is that you and I, uh, as we have the spirit and he starts to move and change and shape us, it tends to expose those areas of our life where maybe we know are not yet kind of restored or redeemed or kind of still broken. Or as you look out over the world, you might also say, hey, as God starts to work in you, you start to see hope, but you also start to see frustration and brokenness and it kind of aggravates you. And what Paul is saying is, hey, don't be surprised by that. Um, none of us are immune, especially and including uh, people of faith. He uses a really vivid image uh, and a loaded image to describe this world that we live in, which includes you and me. He says that it's groaning as in the pains of childbirth, which uh, 
I just have to say right up front, if there is a male pastor like me who is talking about the pains of childbirth, there are no landmines there whatsoever. Um, no, there's, there's a few. But it also is a powerful one uh, for me that hits home in a couple of ways. Uh, one, uh, my family, uh, we just kind of went through this. My wife just gave birth to our first daughter, uh, Nora, uh, one month ago. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, her name is Nora, but I call her baby girl princess, so which she deserves. And I've been looking up the price of ponies. So if you know someone that offers a good deal, just let me know. Hook me up. It'd be great. Uh, I actually um, I've been into the, you know, the new Star Wars thing. But I got to tell you, baby girl princess, uh, baby Yoda ain't got nothing on baby girl princess. OK, and that's saying something because baby Yoda is really adorable. But, you know, I, I'm a little biased on that as well. But we've we've been through it. Um, But the other reason why it hits home is that um, none of my wife's pregnancies have been easy. Um, Each one has been really, really difficult. Uh, A year and a half ago, my wife was pregnant, and uh, she gets really sick, especially at the beginning of uh, each of her pregnancies, a lot of morning sickness. And so she, she's just, I'm so proud of her and I love her. And she just, she pushes through and, um, and, and did all that. And so we, we went into the doctor's office after we made it through the really hard season and went in there and found out that. Uh, the heartbeat had stopped. And that was a disorienting, painfully uh, frustrating season, and not in the mild agitation sense. And that, st- that sting has carried over, it still stings uh, to this day, uh, even with uh, us having our new, our new baby in the house. And uh, honestly, it made engaging in the world kind of hard for a long time. Uh, social media was really, really hard. There, are, um, it just seemed like during that season, every one of our friends was having a healthy baby. We knew that wasn't true, but it just seemed that way. Uh, honestly, engaging at church was not uh, really easy as well. There are a lot of cute babies here. There are. And I'm proud and happy for all of them, and yet it just made it really hard. And, and it made it hard even worshiping uh, here in service, where, you know, I, I, I am dealing and wrestling with this pain, and yet, and yet trying to sing to God and, and trying to understand why he would, um, how he would allow that to happen and, and what to do with that. It makes me say for a moment here, um, you know, I, I just want to recognize that, that those in this room have experienced it too. Honestly, it, it, made, it uh, made me a little extra sensitive to talking about baby Nora this morning. I'm so proud of her. Uh, she's my baby girl princess, you know. Um, and yet I, I know that the mention of that is a trigger and a, a painful reminder for many of us who are struggling with the loss of a child or have struggled with miscarriage or uh, the long, long journey of infertility or... Perhaps you're single and you wish you uh, were married and had a family, or, or maybe you have kids that are adult that, that aren't a part of your life anymore. I know that there are reminders like that all over the place, but including on Sunday mornings. And, and so if that's you, uh, I just want to take one quick moment to just say um, how inspired I am by your courage to actually press in uh, to pain, because I know that's not easy to do, and, and how to keep engaging um, you know, like Jeff, if you were here last week and you heard his message, if you weren't, it's a great message and you should podcast it. But he was talking about how doubt has the potential to push us uh, away from God or actually pull us to God. And, and pain has the same um, potential as well. 
And so the fact that you're here and you're engaging, even in your questions and your pain, is, is inspiring to me, but to the faith community, and it is incredibly God-honoring. And so thank you for doing that. I know, I know how hard that can be. And facing frustration in this world is just a challenge. In fact, there's a few traps that I think we can all fall into, uh, particularly people of faith. I mean, one is to deny that if you are a uh, Christ follower that you should experience pain and frustration at all. Uh, I've met some well-intentioned people who would say, you know what, if you believe, then God, uh, God just wants us to be happy, uh, or there's a silver lining in everything and we need to find it. Or there's even a line of uh, theology that would say, you know what, God what he most wants for you is to be prosperous and wealthy and healthy and happy and all those sorts of things. And, and if you're not experiencing that right now, the, this line of thinking would say, well, you just need to have more faith. And I think what this passage would remind you is that that line of thinking is hogwash. And it's not only unhelpful, it's unbiblical. And we need to push away from that because God is not denying your frustration. We live in a frustrated and broken world. I think another trap that we can fall into is to dismiss frustration. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever gone to somebody and you've poured out your heart and your soul about just how hard something is? And they say, well, you think that's hard. Just wait till you hear what's going on in my life right now. Isn't that annoying? Right. Um, It's incredibly painful. It's almost like people are hearing the pain in our life and kind of giving us a dismissive pat on the head. Like, oh, that's cute. No, that pain is. Oh, that's I'm sure that's hard for you. But for hey. Once you hear what I'm dealing with, then, man, it's going to be, you're going to think differently. And yet I've seen that same trap in my own life. There's something about, I think there's some kind of instinct in all of our lives, uh, in all of us, to actually want to maybe dismiss other people's pain as if it's a way to help us feel better about our own pain. Um, It's a comparison trap that we need to be careful of. And so, uh, you know, in this holiday season, just full disclosure, you're going to have people that are going to come up to you. They're going to be sharing about hard stuff going on in their life. And I think it'd be helpful if we practiced maybe a few helpful things to say and maybe just a few of these things and not to say too much. And so I'm going to put something up on the screen. We're going to read it out loud together. Okay, we're going to practice. It's going to be good. It's going to you're going to feel better about it. So here we go. Let's say this one together. That must be really hard. Oh, you guys are good. That's really good. Okay, let's try this one. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. This next one will be really helpful, for, particularly in our church. Alabama's not in the college football playoff. That must be difficult for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just keep that one in your back pocket. You might need it at some point. It's just you never know at what party you might be at that someone will be incredibly ministered to you on that. Um, you know, the great thing about God is he doesn't deny or dismiss your pain and your frustration, your brokenness. In fact, uh, the Bible lets us know he enters into it. What we celebrate at this time of year, what we celebrate with Christmas is the idea that God became human and entered into this world. He didn't deny that it exists. He said, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to do something about it. And what's amazing is that Jesus, when he came, he did did it for two big reasons. I mean, one is a huge reason. It's really important. It's the reason that um, we can have a right relationship with God, that he died for our sins and rose from uh, the grave so that you and I could trust in him and have a right relationship with God. That's a great reason. But the second reason that he came is, is really important, too. It's that he came to connect with us and to identify with us, to feel what you feel. Uh, the book of Hebrews lets us know that we do not have an unsympathetic high priest that he understands. And this passage lets us know that not only did Jesus do that for us, the Spirit does that for us right now. 
Uh, it says the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Isn't that remarkable? It's that in that moment, whatever pain or brokenness you're feeling right now, God is not distant. Um, he's not denying it. When you go to God, you're like, God, I don't even know what to pray for right now. I'm just so angry or I'm so broken or I'm so hurting. God is saying, I know. And you don't need the words. I'm here for you. It's a remarkable promise. It shows us that one of the opportunities that maybe happens in waiting, it does not make it easy, it does not even explain away all of the things of why you're waiting, but it is an opportunity of waiting, that there is an opportunity for us to connect with God in a deeper way than we ever would, to maybe open up our life to his ministering power in a way that would not have happened without that season of waiting. And so Paul tells us that, hey, we need to face frustration well, but he says another, he gives us another thing that we need to do as well, and, and, and that is about having hope. In fact, um, one of the things I think he would challenge us on as we use the word waiting is to maybe not just stop with the word waiting, but to move to another word, and that is anticipating. And there is a difference. You know, waiting is something that is, by definition, passive. It's kind of a state of inactivity. It's sort of, okay, I'm waiting for something to happen. Anticipating is an active sense. It's an active stance to say, I'm looking forward to something. And Paul tells us that that's the difference of waiting well. In fact, he gives us this image of the pains of childbirth and the woman in labor as a way to explain the difference. That it puts the woman's pain in the present in context because she is anticipating something. She's anticipating life that is to come. And so Paul tells us, hey, we should live in a state of anticipation. He tells us what we should be anticipating, uh, what we should be anticipating. He says, those of us who groan inwardly as we wait, we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about it for a second. You know, uh, when the Bible, te- uh, the Bible tells us a lot happens when you place your faith in Jesus, when you trust in him. In fact, earlier on in the book of Romans, Paul will describe this, uh, where he talks about all sorts of things that are in there. You can read the whole book. It's amazing promises that are in there. It says, uh, upon trusting in Jesus, just that act of faith, of putting the, the weight of your life and your hope into Jesus, saying Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do, that when at that moment that we have then no condemnation with God, that we have peace with God, Uh, And, as he describes it, we have been adopted into God's family. We become his children. Which is an amazing promise. Uh, Because when you think about it, I mean, there's a difference between being a friend of God, which we are through Jesus, but there's a difference between a friend and being a child. uh, A friend, I've had friends in my life that have come and gone. um, Some that have stuck around, others that maybe have fallen away. But for someone to be adopted into a family, that is a secure place to be. That's a permanent place to be. That's a status change place to be. And that's what Paul is saying, is that when you trust in him, you have that secure adoption. That is past tense. You have been adopted into his family. But while we have been adopted into the family, the status has changed. What he's telling us in here is that we have not realized the full effects of that. It's almost like saying, hey, we have peace with God 
past tense. We have it. And yet we are not fully experiencing that peace in our life. We're still dealing with brokenness and disrepair. Our bodies are still kind of struggling. This world is still falling apart and we're living in it. Um, And even as we think about who we are with God, we are in his family, but we're not fully experiencing that intimate relationship on a day-to-day life that we will uh, in the life to come. And that's the promise is that Paul is saying, hey, that's coming. That at some point, the hope of being a Christian is that God will come back and he will make all things right. He will redeem and restore everything, including that relationship that we can have with God. We'll enjoy it every day. Hope makes all the difference in the world. Um, It just does. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 13, 12. And it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. It's almost like when we have a dream that just keeps kind of getting pushed to the side, um, that just gets to be painful. Or if you're ever not sure if that dream will actually ever come to fruition, that can be a really painful thing. And I think what that passage is telling us is we have to be careful with what we put the main hope of our life in. And that there is a danger that we all have of potentially misplacing a hope with the hope in our life. I mean, it's really good to have lots of different hopes and dreams uh, that we have, the things that we pursue and go after, things that are good, that, that God wants for us. It's good to have lots of those things, but there's a difference between putting the weight of our world on those things and putting our weight on the world of the hope that, hey, in spite of all of that, whatever happens there, I'm good. There is something that's coming, there's redemption that's coming, and I'm in God's family. It's kind of like this. I saw this documentary not too long ago. It's called Free Solo. Has anybody seen that documentary? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you thought it was about Star Wars, it's not, but it's, you know, it's still really, really good. Um, it is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen because it's about this guy. He's a climber. His name is Alex Honnold. Uh, he uh, set out to climb El Capitan, which is uh, a 3,000-foot vertical rock formation in Yosemite that's made entirely out of granite. So he wanted to cry- climb it, which I'm afraid of heights, so that sounds nuts already. But not only did he set out to climb it, he decided he wanted to climb it without any ropes at all. That's what it means to free solo. And so, uh, in fact, if you look at the picture here, there are no ropes. And this is not photoshopped. I mean, that is, uh, I mean, this is, I think he's about two-thirds of the way up the journey at this point. So that's over 2,000 feet of falling right there, which just gives me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> looking at it. And it makes you think, too, of this poor camera crew that's following him all around, too. But there's a difference with the camera crew. They're, they're actually, they're using ropes. You know, they're actually, I mean, like a sane person would do. They're actually using ropes and they're kind of anchored in. Whereas for Alex, every single foothold, every single finger grip is carrying with it the life and death of his entire existence, which is, I mean, just crazy and nuts. And it makes it a weird viewing to, to, to watch it through. The reason why I bring that up is it's a reminder to me that the Christian life is not the free solo life. And yet many of us live this way. I do. Where every hope and dream of a relationship happening, a job change occurring, a health test, whatever, those are all good things that we are hoping for on there. But they were not meant to carry the weight of our world. They were not meant to carry life and death. And I think what Paul would say to each of us is he would say, anchor in. To anchor in to a hope that is beyond you, a hope that is based on what God has fully promised, which is that no matter what happens in this world, you're going to be okay if you trusted in Jesus. That is sure, is something you can cling to.
you can hold to, and that if you slip or something doesn't happen, we're taken care of. In fact, I think Paul would make the argument that it makes us uh, have the potential to live bolder in a way that maybe we wouldn't if we didn't have that firm hope. Um, there's a passage that comes right before the one that we read uh, in 818. This is one uh, in uh, Romans 815 through 17. And I want to read this to you because I just think it's amazing. It's an amazing passage. And I love the translation that uh, we're going to use. And it's from the message translation. I just love the way that it words it. So this is 815 through 17. And this is what Paul says right before it. He says, the resurrection life you received. That's the, the life that when we trust in Jesus, he, he, uses, he gives us his resurrection power. It says, the resurrection life you received from God is not a timid grave tender life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. I think what he's saying is that if you want to move from waiting to anticipating, it involves two big things. It's saying, do you have a sure hope? Have you really anchored in to what's most important? And do you have a secure identity that you know who God is and you know who you are in him? That changes everything about how you wait. It's kind of like um, in my family, we had a... Um, we had a tradition growing up as a family uh, when I was a kid. Um, my, uh, we, would, we had a rule, first of all, in our household. There was no waking of the parents before 6 a.m., which uh, as a parent now uh, is a really generous rule. You know, it's like, oh, that, good job, mom and dad. <laughs> I'm proud of you for that. But as a kid, I was like, oh, that's pretty frustrating. And so I, I remember we would uh, somehow we had an internal clock that just made it so that we arrived at 6 a.m. on the money in my parents' back bedroom. But then once we arrived in the back bedroom, my parents would make us wait again. And we would have to sit in the back room because my dad would leisurely stroll out to the living room. He wanted to turn on the lights, you know, and start the Christmas music uh, and brew the coffee. And he would start a fire, which was always comedic to me because I grew up in Southern California. There's no need for a fire in Southern California. Um, But that's what he would do. And you're like, okay. And so I'm sure in actuality what he was doing only took about 10 minutes, but it felt like an eternity, you know. And while it was hard... It was not torturous, though, you know, and there's two big reasons why. Uh, One, I knew my dad, you know, I I knew who he is. He's he's a good father. You know, he loved me and I was always in good hands with him. And two, I knew what was coming, that I saw the tree and knew just around the corner. It's like, okay, we just got to wait just a little bit more. And that's what's coming. It changed everything about it. I think as we close here this morning, there's two big things I want to leave with you, um, two big thoughts. And one is this, that God is with you in whatever waiting room you find yourself in today. He's ready to meet you with his comfort and his strength. And some of us have been waiting a long time for something, um, either to happen or to change. And I hope to, this morning has been a reminder that God is not distant from you in that waiting room, that he is with you he's ready to meet you with his ministering power in maybe a a more profound way than you could expect and maybe a more profound way than you would have experienced if you weren't in that current waiting room but as he meets us he's not calling us to simply wait he invites you and me to a life of joyful anticipation based on a secure identity a sure hope 
and with a significant mission today. You know, some of us, as we're waiting, it's been hard. Uh, and part of the reason why it's been hard is we don't have that secure identity. Um, maybe we've never known that, hey, our relationship with God doesn't need to be tied into uh, our performance. It actually can be tied into what he did for us. And that just by a matter of faith, um, we can change our status and we can be in his family. And that that can give us a security that even if we mess up, which we will, uh, that we're still, we're still good, you know. And that there's an unbelievable inheritance. Some of us, um, maybe it's about a sure hope. As we wait, maybe as we think about it, a good question to ask ourselves is, have I made a hope in my life the hope in my life? Because when we do that, it can lead to some pain. It can lead to the heart being sick. But I think if we use this period of waiting, actually reorient around, okay, what is it that I put the weight of my world on? It can make all the difference in the world. Or maybe for a few of us here, you get what I've said kind of theologically, biblically. You're like, hey, I'm on board with that. But If you're being honest, you're living a grave-tending kind of life, you know, as Paul described it there. That maybe you're just kind of waiting, you know, and and kind of saying, you know, nothing's ever going to get fixed and there's nothing I can do about it. So let's just, you know, kind of go about life. And I think what God is saying through this passage is that he is in the process of redeeming and restoring a frustrated world right now. And he is inviting each of us to play a role in that. Uh, To, in a sense, usher in the kingdom that is uh, to come. So I'm going to invite you, we're going to take a few moments to pray. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes right now. And um, as we do, I'd love you to use this as just an opportunity to talk to God. Because you know what rating room you find yourself in right now. You know where you're experiencing the pain and frustration of a broken world in in a personal way. And so let's take that to him. And as we take that to him, maybe maybe ask and say, hey, how's my identity? And, and, and say, God, have I, I need a reminder. Either if I've placed, taken that step of faith, I need a reminder that I'm your child and that you love me. Or if you've never taken that step, it's really easy to do it. It's just saying, God, I, I trust in you. I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins that he made a way when there was no other way. And that when that happens, the Bible tells us that we have a secure identity. We're in the family. Or maybe think about the hopes and dreams in your life and offer them to God right now and say, God, have I missed it? Have I maybe misplaced a hope and a dream, something that's good that I pray for and I cling to and I, I desire, but, but you know what? I, that's not the hope in my life. And then maybe we need just a sense of boldness, a sense of freshness, say, God, I'm not here to just wait. I'm here to have a significant mission. Father, we thank you that we can pray to you as Father, that you are good and that you love us and that through jesus we can have security the security of a child in the hands of a loving god who wants what's best for us and we know uh you're hurting with us in those places we're hurting and we ask that you would meet us with your comfort and your strength and i pray father you give us a fresh reminder of your hope and a fresh dose of energy as we leave this space today that we are reminded that you are at work in our lives which makes everything everything matter We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.